Hey there, Miranda Wilson here to remind you about lesson ideas, the brand new Science Journal for Kids podcast. Just a reminder, we'll be talking about new articles that have been adapted for use in the classroom. We know how hard it is to incorporate new resources into your lesson plans. So we'll discuss activities you can do with your students and tips to make learning easier. Sometimes we'll have a quick chat with the original researcher and we'll talk about fun facts you can use to pique the interest of your students. Here at Science Journal for Kids, we believe that every student deserves to know how science works in the real world. We're here to help support your efforts in that endeavor. So join us here at Lesson Ideas, the Science Journal for Kids podcast to learn more. Welcome to the second episode of Lesson Ideas. Have you seen the movie Finding Nemo? Well, today we'll be discussing an article about clownfish, a group of small fish that live on coral reefs and were featured in the movie. The article, Why Do Some Clownfish Not Breed? by Rebecca Branconi and her colleagues would be a great and fun addition to any classroom lesson. First, just a little more information about the article in case you haven't read it. Clownfish are one of the most well-known tropical fish. They live in social groups in which individuals are ranked by size. The two biggest dominant individuals breed, but the smaller individuals don't. So why do some clownfish forgo their reproduction? Rebecca and her colleagues decided to investigate. They looked at the risks and rewards of moving to a different home to breed or of contesting to breed in their current home. They found that it's too risky for these clownfish to move to a new home. They aren't likely to contest by getting bigger and potentially fight the dominant fish, since they risk being evicted from the group. So, they choose to stay put and wait, in the hope that they will one day be able to breed. Let's take a minute to hear from Rebecca about how she ended up studying coral reefs and clownfish. I have always been fascinated by animals, like how they behave and why they're doing certain things. And since I was very little, like I wanted to be an ethologist. So someone who studied animal behavior. And uh, more specifically, I was very intrigued by those animals that live in social groups and cooperate with each other. So first I started studying social insects like paper wasps. And then later on, I was able to merge like my interest for sociality and cooperation with my love and passion for the ocean by studying coral reef fish like clownfish. And this has been simply a dream for me, like the perfect match. You can hear more about Rebecca's research and her background as a researcher in our Ask a Scientist segment. In case you haven't heard about our Ask a Scientist segment, these are video interviews with researchers answering questions that students have asked about their research. These are great additional resources to share with your students after reading our articles. They usually provide extra information about the article and include behind the scenes images and video of the research being done. In fact, 
Our interview with Rebecca has some great underwater footage of her actually doing research on clownfish. The great thing about our Ask a Scientist videos is that they're only about three minutes long. They're long enough to pique the interest of your students, but they won't take up too much of your class time. Back to our article about clownfish. Your students are sure to remember the movie Finding Nemo, which features Nemo and his dad Marlin, who are both clownfish. But I bet your students don't know that there are actually about 30 different species of clownfish that live on coral reefs around the world. Clownfish live in symbiotic relationships with anemones because they have a thick mucus that makes them immune to the anemone's stinging tentacles. Clownfish are very territorial, too. The clownfish protects the anemone from predators, and the anemone gives the clownfish a place to live, making this a great example of a mutualistic relationship. Check out the show notes for links to more examples of symbioses and mutualisms to share with your students. Another interesting aspect of clownfish that your students probably don't know about is that they're what we call protandrous or sequential hermaphrodites. Clownfish live in social groups with one female, a dominant male, and a group of smaller males. When the female of a group dies, the dominant male becomes a female, and one of the smaller males takes on the role of dominant male. Your students will be surprised to learn that Nemo's father should have become a female when his mother was eaten in the first few minutes of Finding Nemo. Check out the show notes for an article from Slate.com discussing what should have happened in Finding Nemo if it was scientifically accurate. If you're discussing different reproductive strategies in your classes, Rebecca's article on clownfish would be a great example of what happens on coral reefs. For middle school classrooms, we have a great resource to highlight today that allows students to explore the advantages and disadvantages of different reproductive strategies using real-world examples, all in one 50-minute period. This resource has been vetted by the National Science Teachers Association and explicitly states how the activity connects to the NGSS standards. The activity has students work in pairs, reading brief informational sheets about 12 different organisms. It even includes the blue-headed wrasse, which is very similar to the clownfish in its reproductive strategy. But instead of males turning into females, the females can turn into males. While students explore the different animals, they fill out a grid comparing sexual and asexual reproduction for five different categories like how much parental care offspring receive, and how much genetic variation occurs in offspring. The great thing about this resource is that there's a teacher's key, along with a list of discussion points to have with your students once they've completed the activity. In terms of executing this lesson plan, you'll just need to print out a grid for each student 
and sets of the 12 animal profile sheets. If you're tied on your printing allowances, you could even print and laminate a set of the animal profile sheets and have students rotate through stations. If your classroom is more advanced or you have a high school classroom, this article would also be a good stepping stone into topics related to evolution, particularly why some apparently bad traits stick around in a population. In this case, why clownfish choose not to pass their traits on to the next generation by increasing their chances of breeding. There's a great resource on our website from HHMI Interactive that explores natural selection using examples from rock pocket mice. Check out the show notes for a link to this resource. That brings us to our teaching tip for this week. Each article has at least one graph or figure showing how the experiment was set up or the results from the experiment. There are questions and thought bubbles nearby that challenge students to explore the figure more in depth. These would be good exit ticket questions to make sure that your students understood the main findings of the article or were able to interpret information graphically. If your students aren't quite there yet, these questions make a great jumping off point for learning how to interpret graphs and figures. That's all we have time for today. If you liked what you heard, thought it was helpful, and learned some cool stuff, please share with your friends and colleagues. If you have questions or comments, please share them in the feedback forum on our website. You can also sign up for our free monthly newsletter to learn about our latest content. And as always, please visit our website, sciencejournalforkids.org, for more free science teaching resources.